0: Coming at you today, okay, and I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. you don't got time okay. right? Let's go, break it, break it, it
1: cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
2: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. We are going to be joined by just one guest today, our weekly conversation with David on Postponement for the time being, but uh, Morgan Page, KU Women's Basketball Assistant Coach, Recruiting Director, is going to join us at 425. We have a lot to talk about today. It was a bit of a bummer of a weekend, I think would be a way of putting it. KU falls to Oklahoma, Chiefs fall to the Buffalo Bills. I
0: will say, I, I think outside of the KU game, this was by far the best college football weekend of the season. And one of the best college football weekends that I can remember in terms of just incredible games.
2: And a lot of them were built up to be incredible games. You had so many top 25 matchups that ended that way. It's been an exciting college football season, that's for sure. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 free in bets if your team wins. Tonight, they've got a special prop on Justin Herbert, boosted from minus 800 To plus 100, so that basically means you get even odds for him to throw one touchdown pass. I mean, how do you not? Sounds like free money. Exactly. How How do you you not not? indulge? Now, that said, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be a very poor man. Yeah. Gamble responsibly, though. Uh, By the way, Kansas now at plus seven and a half. It opened at like nine and a half, ten points. That means people are in on KU. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of the same thing happened last week against Oklahoma. So then it ballooned back up. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued as is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. KU falls to Oklahoma 52-42 on Saturday. Where do you want to go first? Do you want to talk the defense, or do you want to talk Jason Bean taking over for Jalen Daniels?
0: Jason Bean, absolutely.
2: Okay, let's do it. So Jason Bean takes over for Jalen Daniels, has statistically a pretty good game. He did have the yep. two interceptions. One of them was on an incredible play by the Oklahoma defender kind of tipping it up. I, I think if you're, you know, Getting kind of nitpicky, you could say, well, probably should have lofted it a little higher on that guy. And that's probably true. But, again, you don't expect him to necessarily make that play. The second interception Bad. was, yeah, not good. He had, again, statistically a good day. He he let his receivers go up and make plays. Mason Fairchild and Lawrence Arnold were really good in the game. Um, and he obviously still has that speed, which which you can be utilized by. I do think there were definite moments in the game where I sat there and went, okay, to me there is a a gap between Jalen Daniels to Jason Bean in what yes. you're getting there. I think that Kansas gave him full trust of the offense like they would with Jalen, and I think there were some ups and downs. So
0: I devoted the, the rest of the TCU game when Bean came in and this Oklahoma game. What I couldn't get out of my head was the preseason talk of, hey, This quarterback competition was very competitive. It was very close. Bean was playing the best football of his career, supposedly, in in, in camp and all this other stuff. But Daniels beat him out. So in my mind, I was analyzing the game and thinking, okay, what did Daniels do to beat out Jason Bean to earn the starting job? And it jumps out right at you, actually, pretty quickly. It's not really hard to figure out. Daniels protects the football a lot better. He's much smarter with his decision-making. And he can run the option a lot better. Which is something that Ku clearly has wanted wanted to do, and he's got the great vision, also, right? And that's that jumps out at you immediately. It jumps out at you immediately because in the first half, specifically, Jason Bean was looking to force the ball down the field every time he draw back to pass, every time. And he had got, and in the first half, if you watch the film, he had guys open underneath in the flat, and he would not go there. He was looking to go downfield, which is obviously a double-edged sword. He had a great touchdown pass to Lawrence Arnold that was into double coverage. He had a couple great great passes to. Fairchild, he had another good pass to Lawrence Arnold in a double coverage later in the game, but so the confidence is certainly there from Bean in terms of throwing the ball down the field. But at some point, you got to be a little more protective of the ball, right? But I I will say this, and I may be wrong on this, but I was thinking Bean, his total ceiling, Jason Bean's complete ceiling, so his like peak Bean. Okay, I think. <laughs> Is higher than Jason than Jalen Daniels.
1: Hmm.
2: So I, I I sort of understand the the notion of well he can be faster than him. Well he you've I think a, Jalen Daniels has a, a arm. Arm to, think Daniels has a stronger arm. Jalen Daniels has a stronger I despite what Rod Gilmore said I I do think Jalen has the stronger arm. I think Jaylen's he has more velocity. More accurate, but but I, I think I think Daniels has I think Bean has the stronger arm. I think Bean throws a more catchable deep ball would be the way that I would put it. But Jalen Daniels can fire the ball in there. And with Jason yes. Bean, sometimes it's a little more loose with it. I get what you're saying. I don't agree with it. I do think Jalen does have a higher ceiling. I do think the ceilings are comparable, though. I, I do agree with what you're saying, though, yes. in terms of the floor so, uh, not uh, being uh, the same. Yeah, so obviously, exactly. When it comes down to, well,
0: why did Jalen Daniels win the starting job to start the season? Well, he's bit much more consistent. I mean, with Jason Bean, you get really great, and then you get really questionable. Right? with not only his decision making but also what he's doing in the offense and and he also doesn't want to take hits now I don't know how much of that stuff with the hits is a discussion of I, I know yeah it could be a coaching yes, thing I, don't I know in the conference in the press conferences during before the before the game on Wednesday and Tuesday I know that Kota Linke said no we haven't told him to not get hit and Lance Leipold said no we haven't told him to not get hit I don't know if I buy that because Bean was trying not to get hit yeah <laughs> I mean, and, again, that and could it, be it, a, I – I don't know which side and it is. It cost, it, it cost KU pretty badly it in did. the first half. There was a third and ten that Bean scrambled, and it looked like he was going to be able to get the first down, and he slid about two yards short and KU punted. Yes, and it and, also
2: came up um, – the, they ended up getting a touchdown, but he stopped short about a yard or two. Kai Thomas later got the rushing touchdown. He could have just got in the end zone, but he kind of slid short. And then also oh, – Early in the first, I think it was the first or second drive. KU ran a a like speed option play to the outside, and normally the deal is with the quarterback is you like wait to kind of absorb the hit to pitch it or at least get really close so that your guy is as free of a run as possible. And he pitched it too early. the The defender was still kind of. In between, he was honestly. They showed the the behind view. He was actually closer to the pitch man. Bean made a really good pitch, and it squeezed in. It ended up being a big play, but that could have very easily been a turnover because you, you kind of had that there, and that, that's that's one of the reasons and, of why you can't run triple option as well with Bean as you and could with bean Jalen. Obviously,
0: Daniels. botched a pitch against TCU.
2: Yeah, right. So you're absolutely right about that. But,
0: but yeah, I I don't know. I mean, when you when you get the good Bean, it's like it's a really great yeah. high. It's like, oh yes. That's what we like to see, and then you get to, <laughs> and then you then you come down from the high almost, and you see sort of the bad part of it. Yeah, uh, which is exactly why, again, Jalen Daniels won the starting job, and and I was a bit surprised that it really kind of popped out at you that quickly. Like, well, yeah, here's the difference. Like, yeah. here are two quarterbacks that are pretty comparable, we think, in terms of what they can do on the football field, and then here's this one thing that you can definitively point to and say, this guy's better, and that's why he got the starting job. And that's not a knock against Bean at all, right? I mean, he was inconsistent last season. We went through the numbers we went through the numbers last year, uh, for what he was able to do during his start. So this is just something that he's just has to find a way to overcome, whether it's mentally or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be. It's just something that he needs to try to figure out. And and for KU, the great news for KU is if Jason Bean can put together two consecutive or three consecutive quarters of really of high level of what he can do, KU will win. They will win at least one more game. I'm very confident in that.
2: I still feel good because you're going to be in a lot of games that you figure you still go into every week going, yeah, of course we could win that game. Doesn't mean you will win every game, but I still think you go into every game thinking that. And if you put yourself in enough close games, like one should fall your way for them to get there. And, And like you said, like it's important to bring up that. Like, what are the expectations here? Because. Um, it, it sounds like we might be like talking negatively here. And I don't mean it that way. I think we're just comparing it and in, in what you get with Jalen Daniels versus Jason Bean. Like at the end of the day, Jason Bean is still, if you view it from the lens of he is your backup quarterback, he's excellent. It's excellent. It's yes. outstanding. I mean, he has eight passing touchdowns through six quarters of play. JT Daniels this season has nine. Adrian Martinez has four. So, like, if you view it from that standpoint, it's great. But I think. When we saw what the defense did, it start and knowing that we don't know the the deal with Jalen Daniels and that if he is out for a longer period of time, then all of a sudden the moniker no longer gets looked at as "Hey, you're the backup quarterback filling in for a few games." It is you're the starting quarterback, so can you take over? And so that's where we're judging him from. So again, there were some highlight moments, there were some good plays for him. It's just I think the the processing stuff is a little bit better for Jalen, more accurate, uh, better at making. Option or reads on the option. I think there were several times on like a read option play where Jason Bean should have either kept it or given it and did the opposite, and it didn't really work up. Maybe not picking up a blitz and pre snap. Just the little things like that that I think take Jalen Daniels over the top. Jason Bean is still good enough, like you said, to win some games. Yeah, and I it's think it's just more things have to go right for him. I you.
0: think kind of what you're getting at is if the defense is going to struggle or be below average. Then we, I mean, early in the season, we saw it against West Virginia, even against Houston. Like, if the defense is going to struggle to be below average, the offense has to be very consistent in scoring. Pretty much has to be perfect. And Jalen Daniels was the definition of consistent and doing what he needed to do. And with Jason Bean, you may get some more flashier moments where he makes some really great throws or great plays, but you might also get the lows of he gets read like a book on the second interception that he threw against Oklahoma, right? And, And the other thing I want to bring up about this Oklahoma game is. KU loses by ten. It was a close game. They didn't get blown out. But at the same on the same notion, it never really felt like KU was in the game to win it, if that makes sense. Like they were they were always at arm's length for Oklahoma. They weren't they weren't getting blown out. Mm-hmm. Obviously they only lost by ten. And the offense put up forty two points against Oklahoma. Like you f- you figure that might be enough
2: to to be very competitive. But it never felt like KU was legitimately going to win the game. Yeah. That felt very much like a look-yourself-in-the-mirror game where it was like, if you would have said before the season started, hey, KU is going to have five wins and they're not going to have a chance of like beating Oklahoma, but they're going to hang around. You would have been like, okay, great. They're showing great signs of progress. It's just that after they started 5-0 and and the way Oklahoma went the last couple weeks, it became this new expectation, uh, especially for that game. And I think we also probably saw Oklahoma wake up a little bit Yeah, well, and also...
0: I mean, they have a lot of talent. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, the the talent of Oklahoma really, really shined through uh, against Kansas. I mean, big time. Eric Gray was a a high high recruit guy, went to Tennessee. I mean, he was just just better. He was just better. And Marvin Mims, same deal. And Dylan Gabriel was... His stats, obviously, were very impressive, but he was not super sharp. Uh, He missed on some throws pretty regularly.
2: He missed a couple in the flats, like yeah. there were easy passes. The yeah. interception was kind of just him misfiring. Like the guy wasn't like yeah. completely covered up there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. They did that, and that was one common thing, which honestly makes it a little scarier that you did give up the 52 points there. Like everything that Oklahoma did wrong outside of you making that stop on the goal line. Well, and Gabriel, on the fumble, he gave it away. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Everything Oklahoma did wrong was, like, them shooting themselves in the foot. He dropped the ball on the fumble. The uh, one where it was – he was, like, putting his arm back to throw it, and it hit the running back, so it caused another fumble. And then you had the interception where he just misfired. Like, a lot of their mistakes were not KU forcing the mistake. It was – them just kind of making the mistake, which it could have been worse than fifty-two. And the his, flip side, oh God, his first fumble, Dylan Gabriel's first
0: fumble that he had, where he just dropped the ball. I think KU was down seven at that point, mm-hmm. maybe fourteen-seven. I don't remember exactly the score, but to me, that was kind of a a game-changing moment because KU recovered the fumble and they went pretty conservative with with their drive and they went three and out and punted it right back to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma scored touchdowns off of every one of KU's turnovers, so that was kind yes. of a big moment also where KU kind of got gifted this opportunity. And they didn't they just went three and
2: out. Yeah. And, and the defense did have some good moments. Like I, I guess at least you did get those turnovers. You made the stop at the goal line to kind of keep it uh within striking distance at halftime there. There were a few times that the offense, even though they scored forty-two, maybe didn't take advantage of some of the good things that the defense did. I also think that it is a bit of a complimentary game where Like, I was a little surprised they didn't play more ball control on offense and try to just run it down Oklahoma's throat at certain times, given how bad. He
0: was averaging seven yards a carry. He was,
2: and OU had been so bad against the run the last couple weeks, last three, four weeks, whatever it was, that I was a little surprised they didn't try to keep the OU offense off the field, maybe change up the rhythm of the game or something like that at some point. Maybe that just wasn't there because – Sometimes KU's best drives were just hitting big plays, and yeah. you know you're not going to be like, hey, we got a 30-yard play. Let's run 10 less yards, so it's only 20 yards. You know, so uh, there was some stuff that the offense maybe could have done to help the defense in that game, but certainly that was a struggle on that end of the ball. There was oh. no pass rush. The coverage was that was the most disappointing thing to me. It's one thing if they're just you know mossing you on every play, or they're making these great plays. Those guys wide open. Yes, there were guys wide open, there were alignment issues, there were coverage breakdowns, and for that to happen in the middle of the season, like on one hand, it's, oh, that's easily correctable. Just be in the right spot next time. (laughs) The other hand, you don't love to see that in the middle of the season. be better. Yes. But I will say, KU's short yardage defense, phenomenal this season.
0: Phenomenal. They've been so good in short yardage defense, really time and time again. Third and one, fourth and one, third and short, fourth and short. They've been really good, like consistently really good in those situations defensively.
2: Yeah. So uh, KU Falls, Oklahoma, we'll talk more about the game throughout the day and the coming week here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, was late night in the fog on Friday. Bill Self, Kevin McColar spoke with the media afterwards. We'll share that for you on the other side. Coming up at 4:25, we're going to talk a little KU women's basketball. We're going to be joined by Morgan Page. We also have case of the Mondays, NFL Monday overreactions, and some more KU football talk coming up later on throughout the show. The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Buffalo Bills yesterday, 24 to 20. I think just probably too many mistakes in a game where you have two really good teams going at it, where the margin for error is going to be really small. You missed a field goal. You which. To be clear, I don't really, I mean, it was like a 52-yarder after you hit a 63-yarder. So if you if you said, hey, we're going to take two field goals, one's over 50, one's over 60, we're going to hit one of two, I think you probably take that going into it. But nonetheless, you missed a field goal. Uh, you had the interception in the red zone from Patrick Mahomes. You had the two interceptions in total from Patrick Mahomes. Just uh, a few too many errors in a game like that. But I also, I don't. I don't view it as like uh, some huge deal that the Chiefs lost that game. It's a close yeah. loss to the team who we deem to be the best team in the NFL right now, and you had those mistakes. Yes, yeah, and I said it last week.
0: People were going to overreact to this game, and <laughs> boy, they certainly have. Listen, here is my overreaction: the Chiefs are fine, mm. fine, very fine. Never been more <laughs> fine than they have been than they are right now. That's my overreaction. Now, listen. Obviously, the bad news for the Chiefs losing this game is their odds of getting the one seed are are pretty low at this point. But beyond that, I I mean, the offense did not play well, really. I mean, they, they didn't play very well at all. And even Kelsey, I don't remember what his stats were, but they weren't crazy. I, I will say this. The OPI against Travis Kelsey might have been worse. Then the Chris Jones flag, like it's raised. It was like ten seconds before he threw the ball. How's that OPI? Ten I, seconds. It, it should not have
2: been. But you get I don't Gabe know, man. Davis
0: shoving a guy <laughs> to score a touchdown. That's not OPI. Make it make sense. Oh, that really that really upset me a lot. Didn't they score they, on that drive was, though? Anyway,
2: the Chiefs. Yeah.
0: It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm still going to be mad about it. So, on the defensive side, listen, the defense played phenomenally. Great. I mean, are you kidding me? That was a great performance by the defense.
2: Yeah, yeah if you like, said you gave 24 to – Really good. And that's honestly like I, – I know that's been talked about too. The fact that you did that without Willie Gay or Trent McDuffie or and, Rochelle, and some other man. injuries, right? That makes it even more impressive. But even if all those guys were healthy – if you would have come in to, you know, before the game on Sunday and said, I can guarantee you the Chiefs are gonna hold the Bills to twenty four points, you that's would say, good. Okay. That's, sign that's, me up. That's pretty good. Yeah.
0: I will say I, I think I need to applaud the uh the intestinal fortitude of Spagnolo to continue to blitz six and seven guys the whole game against Sam. Yeah. And to his credit. The blitz was working actually for the most part. Yeah, they Except gave for, up a couple big plays, but like that's the idea of the blitz.
2: It's risk reward. <laughs> you know, you're like, not going like to bes- sack them every time. Besides
0: the touchdowns that they gave up when they were one on one coverage with Josh Williams, besides the touchdowns, the blitz worked. It worked on four. They had a fourth and three that the blitz got home and, and messed up the play. They stopped on another fourth down. So yeah, I think the the takeaway from the defense is hey, we're we're, we're pretty good. Now, I'm going to put the brakes on that a little bit. The Bills' run game was very, very successful and really easy. And there was a lot of praise for Nick Bolton, but it's with I think with Nick Bolton, you might fall into the trap, if you go back and watch the game, you might fall into the trap of praising a guy for making a tackle 10 yards downfield. Like, good job. You got 10 yards. (laughs) Like, if you're going to be a linebacker, maybe only tackle him for like 2 or 3 yards. So, Willie Gay coming back obviously will be significant certainly in that aspect and you hope that will improve the run defense and again if with McDuffie and Fenton healthy on the outside maybe they're able to break up a couple of those touchdown passes maybe they're able to slow down those guys a little more on the outside but yeah I don't think you could be much happier with the with the defensive performance in that game for the Chiefs and on the offense again I, it's inexplicable, man. You have you have the smartest guy in offensive football, arguably Andy Reid. You have the best quarterback in football, Patrick Mahomes. Some games they're unstoppable. Other games they can't get out of their own way. It's it's a uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And this felt like a game to me where the offense was really not fully engaged. And the interception by Mahomes in the end zone. That, to me, that's kind of a wash. The Chiefs forced a turnover against the Bills in the red zone on their previous drive. So, okay, sure. I mean, you would have liked, obviously, would have liked to not throw an interception and score a touchdown, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of a wash at the end of the day, I think. But I mentioned this to you before the show. The second interception by Mahomes, late in the, that, ended the game for the Chiefs. I really, really struggled to hearken back to an interception thrown by Pash Mahomes where it was. The defense, the defender just read Mahomes and made the interception. Like every interception that I can r- recall, I mean, obviously I'm sure I can't recall all of them vividly, but the interceptions that Mahomes throws, it's either a risky throw that Mahomes knows is risky, and he tries to force it in there and it gets intercepted, i.e. the interception he had in the end zone. Like that was a play where Mahomes was just trying to force it in. You know, it was third and goal, I think, just trying to force it in for for something, and it got picked off. Other that. Or it gets tipped, or something else happens. But when's the last time outside of this interception we saw at the end of the game? When's the last time you can remember Mahomes threw an interception in which the defender genuinely just read him, fooled him, and made the interception?
2: It doesn't I, happen very I, often. I,
0: I I literally can't think of one. Whenever it happened, the last time before I saw it against Buffalo. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to extrapolate too much out of that, but I don't know. Maybe. That Mahomes was not feeling super confident in that situation or what, but for him to, for him, for a guy who seemingly has a sixth sense about this kind of stuff, and just somehow, by the grace of God, just knows what's when when it's a risky pass or not, to have that happen in obviously a clutch moment late in the game,
2: it was it was surprising. It was it was surprising. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime Patrick Mahomes doesn't just like achieve everything in front of him. It's like surprising (laughs) because of uh, the bar that he has shown. So, yeah, you're right. Um, I think, again, defense played great. You take that performance every day of the week. Now that you have Trent McDuffie coming back, uh, assuming he's back this week, Willie Gay will be back this week, I think you feel pretty good where the defense is at. I think you feel good enough that the defense is good enough for you to win a Super Bowl. Yes. The question now honestly does become, like what you said with the offense, not maybe doing enough there, is do they have enough on that end? Because when you see it, you see uh, both tackles continuing to struggle in pass blocking. I think I saw uh, earlier today on, like, pressures allowed by offensive linemen. Both tackles for the Chiefs are in the bottom five for left tackle or right tackle in the NFL. Then you have uh, the receiver position, which has solid players, but I still wonder if you're missing like that one extra threat that can go out and help you out because they win sometimes against man coverage, but it's not consistent enough. Then you also have the running back issue, which Jet McKinnon and um, Isaiah Pacheco have shown some stuff, but they continue to stick with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and you struggle on short yardage downs. I, I don't know how much of it's the running backs, how much of it is the offensive linemen, but the linemen continue to grade out well in run blocking. So there are some some nitpicks you can do, and it feels like it's being almost, like, held together by, like, it's like, you know, in uh, Spider-Man, the original one with, like, Tobey Maguire. I shouldn't say the original one. That's not, like, the original. He's, but like, got the, I know he's like, like holding yep. things together by yeah. the web, like a train and, and something else. <laughs> that's sort of what I feel like, like, uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are for the offense. <laughs> They're just like holding everything together right now. Um, and that's honestly, by having those two guys alone, like that is good enough for you to be uh, a really good offense, especially with having that good of a quarterback and then you throw in Andy Reid as a play caller and whatnot. But it just feels like they could use a couple extra tweaks to some of those offensive positions.
0: The O-line situation is is definitely bad. Like The Chiefs, in a concerted effort, went out to make this O-line one of the best in the league. And last year it, it pretty much was, and they've regressed this year, certainly at the tackle positions. Now I think the interior has been just fine. Yeah, Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney, those guys have been fine, but certainly the tackles have regressed. And I guess if you were gonna, if I guess if you if you put a gun to my head and said, "Hey, your offensive line is going to regress. Which position do you want to regress? <laughs> tackle would be the last one that yeah. you want to regress, right? Right." <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's 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 not ideal. That's not ideal. Listen, hand up. I'm out on Clyde. I'm done with him. Oh, I'm done. I have been. I have long, long been a Clyde defender. A Clyde. Uh, I've been. I've been optimistic about Clyde. I've mm-hmm. given him a shot. I, I don't. I, I'm out. I, I'm. I don't know what else to say. I don't. I don't. He just. He's just not good. He just doesn't do anything well. He does He doesn't do anything well as far as I can tell. And like I said, I've I've long I've long been pro Clyde. Well, not even really pro Clyde, but I've been anti extreme Clyde hate, <laughs> which is such an odd club, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I've been. But I'm 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 quitting. I'm quitting on Clyde. Mm. McKinnon is better. Pacheco runs really hard and shows flashes of being great. Clyde is a slug when he gets the ball. He turns. He's a turtle. I don't, I don't understand how he does it, but he just somehow runs so slow. It just doesn't make any sense.
2: So, I'm sorry, Clyde. No, I I keep I waiting can't. every week for for them to start giving more of a load to the other guys. But for whatever reason, Dude, hasn't really earned this that. this game
0: against the Bills, man, especially, I can think of like two separate occasions where the Chiefs offense is getting some momentum. They're getting some momentum. They've got a couple plays. Made a couple plays. HB dive to Clyde. No game. And then the momentum's just killed. Mm-hmm. Just gone. I think well, that happened at least twice that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah.
2: there There is a clear avenue for improvement, I think, on both sides is moving forward from the rookies. Like, George Karloff, this could get better. Trent McDuffie could get better oh, offensively. Yeah. Sky, Sky Moore yep. gets more and more playing time, which he started to, really, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I think we saw even more of that against Buffalo. But to this notion, obviously we know, like, Odell Beckham is out there. Like, maybe that's something that they kick the tires on. Carolina, obviously, is... A really bad team. They're basically tanking at this point. They could use draft picks. They've already fired their head coach. They have some interesting players that can help the Chiefs. Brian Burns is really good as a defensive end. And that was the one thing. Like, the Chiefs, defensively, they just weren't able to get pressure when it was just four guys going. So wouldn't it help to have a pass rusher? Uh, DJ Moore is a really good receiver for Carolina. I don't know if he'd fit into the, the salary cap for the Chiefs. And then Christian McCaffrey would be on the trade block too. Though there was a report this morning that the Panthers want multiple first-round picks. Which, if that's even close <laughs> to the case, even if they want one first-round pick, like no, thank you at all for that. Yeah,
0: and, and it sounds like Burns might not even be on the trading block. Yeah, either. So I that don't could really just know. be them saying that. Yeah, it's not like I don't know.
2: We'll take him for cheap. Here, here's here's what I here's the deal with this but I guess uh, just to a broader point here and this doesn't even have to be a thing about the Panthers this is going to be about any team that's selling because they're not very good if you're the Chiefs do you utilize draft picks to make this team better or do you reset the focus to where you were in the offseason where you basically by trading away Tyreek Hill said we're gonna still try to be good this year we're gonna try to win the division and, and give Mahomes a shot in the playoffs but we're going to more so be building our salary cap and our draft picks to compete for the next window with Patrick Mahomes. And so why would we double down on this season?
0: I think it would be dumb for the Chiefs to trade draft picks for anybody. And here's why. Regardless of who you're getting, I don't think you would get enough return on your investment. Period. I I I just that's what I think. And we had Jesse Newell on, and he listed off a bunch of veteran guys that the Chiefs have gone out and signed or traded for, and almost none of them have worked out. Like, besides Melvin Ingram, the signings that the Chiefs have made of veteran players that were going to come in and provide a boost to, to the Chiefs have pretty much all not worked out. So, I just think from the from that standpoint, you're not going to be able to get any amount of return that's going to equal your investment if you're the Chiefs. So, I, I, would, I think it's better that you just save all that stuff and... I don't know if if Brett Veach is, is clairvoyant and maybe predicted this situation was going to happen, but he is drafted in such a manner that the answers for the Chiefs are already in their locker room. Offensively, it's Sky Moore. Sky Moore is is the next piece for the Chiefs that you're, you're hoping comes along and and turns into another X-factor receiver for you. Defensively, it's George Karloftis. You figure George Karloftis is going to get better and have an impact and, and be able to do more with a pass rush, those are your answers for the Chiefs. Like that, that's your answer. And again, I don't know if Brett Veach is like took a time machine or something to to, to know that this was going to happen, but to know that after six games, we're going to be sitting here saying, "Well, you know, the Chiefs may need to add a receiver and they may need to add a, a defensive end." They've got them. They've got both of them. And and now it's just a matter of will those guys step up and will they kind of pan out how we hope they will later in the season? I think, I think the general consensus is that Skymore is going to be good. Is going to be potentially very good. Towards the end of the season. And with Karloftis, I think maybe there's some more questions there. But still, he's he's expected to be very good. And I mentioned in the preseason, I talked about it a lot in the preseason, of there's pressure on these rookies to perform quickly. And now Trent McDuffie's out, so we don't even really know what's up with him. But there's pressure on Karloftis. There's pressure on Skymore. And it's going to continue to build because clearly the Chiefs have drafted these guys as guys that are going to develop and become what they thought they might need, which is, I guess, the whole point of the draft. You draft what you think you might need. And later in the season, if they do become that, then
2: the Chiefs are going to be just fine. I'll leave it with this because I think that was very well said. Um, What I said earlier, it's a close loss where you made some mistakes to the best team in the NFL. That on its own doesn't sound great if you do want to nitpick and say, well, I want the Chiefs to be the best team in the NFL. You have Patrick Mahomes, so we shouldn't relent the other team being the best team in the NFL. I get that, but based on all that offseason stuff where you did kind of say, hey, we're just going to try to win the division and get a shot in the playoffs because when you have Patrick Mahomes, good things can happen if you just put it in the playoffs. And that's basically the bet they took, and I think the loss yesterday was kind of a, a result of that process. You lose to a Bills team that had, like, the one or two best defense in the NFL plus that really good offense where, okay, you basically are relenting. Hey, they're going to be better than us in the regular season, but in the playoffs, why can't Patrick Mahomes come away with a victory and then we're going to be good for the future years to come? Mahomes, one is, hour 20,
0: down. Mahomes is 27,
2: and they Chiefs got Younger. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Case of the Mondays, next. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays.
2: Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk.
0: You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How many does it calm down? Look around you.
2: With Derek Johnson.
0: When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you sounds like someone has a
2: case of the Mondays? No. No, man. This is your Monday and four o'clock on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We will get over to an interview with Morgan Page coming up in about 20 minutes, but it is time for your case of the Mondays. Real quick, looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 in five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. All right, Case of the Mondays with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. First up, polls without Jesse Newell. They're just not the same, and it's <laughs> it's unfortunate because I don't know what, like, Auburn fans will do without being able to just, like, yell at so, Jesse. What happened? Did Jesse lose his... Uh, well, he's covering the Chiefs now. I, I don't know if he, like, Chiefs, lost yeah. it or <laughs> if it's just something where he's just like, hey, I'm not covering this anymore. You should probably give it to someone else. I do know Matt Tate, who we have on the show tomorrow. He has one now, right? He does. Yeah. So maybe there's something we can do with that. With maybe, uh,
0: maybe he can antagonize some fan base. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> the top 25 is out, though. I, I just, I don't know. That was just a fun excuse for me to bring up the fact that this is being out. Yeah. Um, North Carolina number one, Gonzaga two, Houston three, Kentucky four, Baylor five, Kansas six. I don't want to go through the entire thing, but I'll go through the rest of the top 10. Duke seven, UCLA eight, Creighton nine, Arkansas. 10 what sticks out to you in the initial ap top 25
0: i was a bit surprised to see north carolina at number one i mean i know that they brought a lot of their guys back but that was a little surprising uh i think the general consensus of these rankings is that there's maybe not any one team that's just head and shoulders above everybody else i mean i think all 10 of those teams are, are really solid teams right but really good teams i mean baylor baylor was picked to win the big 12 and they are only one spot ahead of kansas right so there's a and That's probably the greatest aspect of college basketball is is the parity, right? That's why people watch. So, yeah, yeah, my takeaway was that, you know, maybe there's not any one truly elite team right now that's just, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else going into the season.
2: Well, to uh, bring Jesse back up, we we have uh, with Ken Palm. They came out with theirs over the weekend. And how about this? The number two team in Ken Palm to open the season is the Texas Longhorns. I saw that actually. Twelfth in the AP poll. Texas has a lot of talent. It's just a question if they can kind of put it all together. That seems to be the case. Um, if you had to pick a team in the top ten who you feel like I don't know, maybe is most overrated or maybe ends up dropping pretty substantially from that preseason rank, who would you go with?
0: I think either North Carolina or UCLA. Uh, those would be my two picks again. I like. I understand North Carolina is going to be, and like when I say drop substantially, like North Carolina is going to be a probably top fifteen team. Mm-hmm. But if they if but they if start go number one exactly, to being fourteen, exactly, yeah. if they start the season at one and they end up finishing you know in the ten to fifteen range.
2: That's a pretty sizable drop, right? And UCLA, I, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I'm not really sure about them either. The Duke one is weird to me because they have all the talent in the world. They have three top five recruits. There's no reason they shouldn't be good, but also with the new coach, you just have questions there. So, like, would it shock you if Duke had a season where they popped out of the top 25 at one point and were struggling early and then maybe started to figure out a little bit? That'd be crazy. I would be like
0: a Kentucky 2014 type season? Yeah.
2: Um... Arkansas ten has so many new players that you just never really know, and you don't believe in Eric so many Foster? freshmen. No, I I do. I, they wouldn't be my pick there for what it's <laughs> worth. I'm just saying, like that one, it, it yep. wouldn't like completely shock me either. Creighton is one that I I find of interest here too. They're yeah, ranked ninth. They're getting boosted so much by the fact that they almost beat Kansas. They finished last year in Ken Palm fiftieth in the country. Man. So like they have to make a big jump to okay. be a top ten that team. That
0: guy that tore his ACL. For Creighton, I yes, Ryan Kalkbrenner,
2: the really good is, center. He's he, back, he's back, okay. yes, he's really good. Yes. Um, yes. they also lost, uh, I, I forget the name of the kid, he transferred up from Northwest Missouri State on their team last year. He was really good, he's gone. Um, a lot of the players were freshmen who Ryan Hawkins was the name of that kid who, who do go to sophomores, and that's always good for a good b- big leap. So, like, I do think they're going to be good. I'm not sold on them being but top ten.
0: Are they going to be a top two seed? No, in the, in I don't the think NCAA so. Tournament?
2: I, I see them as a team that is ranked around 15 or 16. So those might be the ones. Okay, what about a team who's not ranked in the top 10 who you think could vault up as as high as as some of these top 10 teams?
0: Well, I mean, I think you mentioned it already, but Texas yeah. is one that jumps out. Actually, certainly, Texas I think would be a team that would not. It would not be shocking for them to be a top five team by the end of the year, just based off of how, how much talent they have, and I think. A lot of people have a lot of respect for Chris Beard, so that's an interesting one. Was Was Tech in the top 25, by the way? Did they even cracked the top 25? Tech's Tech
2: is 25th.
0: Okay. That's another one that I would maybe keep an eye on based off of what they were able to do last year.
2: You know who I like? So, the Big Ten is wide open this year. Okay. And I think because of that, there's going to be an opportunity for a team or two to emerge up top. So, the highest ranked Big Ten team is Indiana 13th. I'm not going with them. Um... But Michigan and Illinois, who are 22nd and 23rd. Okay, I like Illinois. I like the Illinois pick. Where, I, I where's think Purdue, one of those two. Is Purdue ranked? Yep, Purdue's not ranked, which I find interesting. Um, it seems like they're kind of getting – they're 25th on Ken Palm for what it's worth. But Purdue's not getting a ton of preseason hype, which I could see them winning the Big Ten. I mean, you're talking about having one of the most efficient or impactful players in the country, Zach Eady, a 7'4 center, who – is just going to like make everything around the rim inside. I know they lost really good players in Jaden Ivey and Travion Williams, but like Matt Painter's such a good coach. Like I, those are the three teams to me: I, Purdue, Illinois, Michigan. That one of them is going to merge, in my opinion, to win the Big Ten. I don't have Indiana there, and they're going to end up being maybe a top ten team. the The thing with Michigan is they have a lot of talent. Um, they lost a couple like one and dones last year, but. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is a really good college player. Illinois is interesting because they brought in a bunch of transfers and they no longer are anchored down to like playing kind of the slow big man with Kofi Coburn. They're going to be more switchable. They have a bunch of really athletic wings who can kind of score and play on the other end of the ball.
0: Those also, are the teams that would circle. I'm also looking at Villanova at sixteen. They're just a team that you, you always yeah. expect to be maybe a top ten team.
2: You just never know with out Jay right. But talent wise, it wouldn't shock you at all if yeah. they were top ten. So I think that's a good pick. Okay, uh, case of the Mondays for the Seattle Mariners. You this know, that's a tough one. It is. And, and like they should be happy because they made the playoffs for the first time in two decades. They also won the wild card series. So, like, in a way, you had okay. some postseason success. Let me ask you this. You're a yes. fan. Yes.
0: Would you rather in an elimination game? Would you rather have the Giants lose, like,
2: 9-2 to two, or lose one nothing in 18 innings? Oh, give me 9-2. to two. No, 9-2 to two for sure. Because the 18 innings, it's like, I, I just gave up six hours of my day. And, and that's why they're on case of the Mondays here. It's not just even that game. Yeah. It's that. they Yeah, they were up, they were up seven yes. runs in game two. They were up seven runs in or game I thought three. it was game one. Or whichever game. Yeah. Game one, they were up seven <laughs> runs. They blow the lead. Jordan Alvarez hits a a game-winning home run yep. in game one. Then Jordan Alvarez, the Mariners are up again going to the end of the game. I forget if it's the eighth or ninth this time, but Jordan Alvarez hits another eventual game-winning home run, and then you lose in 18 innings, 1-0. nothing. is about as brutal of a three-game series that is bad. as you could have. They were right there in every game. They very yep. easily could have won the series. Yeah,
0: so that tough. Is, that is really bad. I do feel bad for the Mariners. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a team that... They have a bright think, future, at least. Yeah, and they're a team that I don't think anybody... They were maybe this year's almost sort of version of, like, the 2014 Royals, where nobody really expected them to be there. They had a good run. Now, obviously, they the Royals, the Royals that year made it to the World Series. Mm-hmm. These guys got knocked out. But same concept, you know, a team that nobody really expected to make it this year. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. I think it seems like they have a, a bright future ahead of them. Uh,
2: Case of the Mondays for MLB teams who had a buy. Now, this is causing all sorts of discussion in the baseball community, to which I... Well, I'll get to this in a second. Okay. So, obviously, the the top two seeds in, in each league got a bye. We did see the Astros advance on. They had a bye, so that was uh, evidence for them. But the Dodgers, who had the best record in the MLB, 111 wins, lost to the Padres in four. You also saw the Braves, who won over 100 games, lose to an 87-win Philadelphia team um, in the uh, divisional round to where it feels kind of unfair that you're – getting these teams off momentum. Now the Guardians, they were up 2-1 on the Yankees. It's now 2-2. So we'll see what happens there in that game. Um, And a lot of people have kind of outcried that, like, we need to do something more advantageous for, like, the top seed or the top two seeds because we play this giant season and then it all boils down to, like, a three-game or a five-game series where so much craziness can happen, so much randomness can happen, and then we'll be playoffs. And I understand that, and I'm a proponent of that, and, and I don't know what the answer is. Like, maybe the Wild Card Series goes from three to five games. Maybe the divisional round goes from five to seven. Maybe you even do, like, nine game for the CS in the World Series, but that would take way too long, so I don't know if you can do that. Um, I just I don't understand the outcry now, because it's not like this is a new thing. Like, this isn't okay. new that top teams in MLB are losing in the first round of the playoffs. Friend,
0: friend of the show, David Lesky. Yes. Weekly Guest. I thought he had a fantastic tweet in regards to this discussion specifically in the NL with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Phillies and the Braves. He said, so nice to see the plucky underdogs with the fourth and fifth highest payrolls in baseball playing for the NL. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all, everything that you just said mm-hmm. that <laughs> that pretty much mitigates all that. It's like these are the Padres literally built and bought an entire team specifically to beat the dodgers so why are we mad that they beat the dodgers like why are we why are we why is there an outcry oh because it's the it's the poor la dodgers with 20 billion dollars in payroll (laughs) oh cry rod dodgers like no bro come on come on this is the padres this is what they this is what they built their whole franchise to do the past like three years why are we mad they won no absolutely not the braves okay maybe you can make an argument there but i mean the braves but counterpoint to the braves the Braves had one of the greatest stretches in baseball history just to win the division over the Mets. I mean, they were they were 11 games back in, yeah.
2: in August. I don't know what you can do about it. It's just, you know, maybe there are certain things that we undervalue that win in the postseason well, versus I mean, the regular we just, season. We just there just is the, a bit of randomness. We just, there just, there just talked is. about
0: it with the Mariners, man. The Mariners could have swept
2: the Astros. Yeah. And instead they got swept. That's just I, how baseball goes. Well, the only thing you could do is just narrow down the playoffs. But they just expanded it, and they're getting so much money to do it, that's Pitless. never going to happen. Exactly, exactly. Like, narrow down the playoffs. Ah, let me cover my ears with my money. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's nothing you can do about it. It's just kind of, you know, sour grapes. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, Tennessee. Um, they're having a case of the Mondays. I mean, the fans on their own are, you know, massive hangovers all around in in Knoxville for the, the, old, the, the big old, win. The old two-day hangover. That was a phenomenal game, by the way, that was uh, awesome. against Alabama. Yes. Uh, this was weird, though. Uh, Tennessee after... or This was, I think, on Sunday. Their, their football team posted this on Twitter. Y'all rem- remember how we tore the goalposts down, hauled them out of Neyland, and dumped them into the Tennessee River? Yeah, that was awesome. Anywho, turns out that in order to play next week's game, we need goalposts in our field. Could y'all help us out? And basically asking for donations to get the goalposts back, which, like, Tennessee's operating budget is like, $150 million. Like, you can't... You can't pony. Because, like, here's the thing. When Kansas fans storm the field and they take the goalposts out or when other schools do this, it sucks. Like, the athletic department's like, crap, well, we have to pay this fee. And, and that stinks and everything. I've never seen a school be like, hey, you guys pay for it. And well, yeah, Tennessee makes so much money. That was weird. Yeah.
0: No, I, I think it's incredibly dumb. I don't know why they're doing this. I mean, it's it's Tennessee, man. And Like, I guess, it's
2: Tennessee. I know. And, well, and I guess it doesn't matter if you just – if. If you just approach this instead of viewing like that as like, "Hey, we beat Alabama, get your donations in now to help our athletic department," well, also, then that you, wouldn't be seen you, as bad. So I don't know.
0: Don't you get fined for for storming the field?
2: I think you do. Yeah. Why? Just because the player safety, like safety thing. Health, safety stuff. Yeah.
0: Health.
2: Okay. They they basically the idea is they want schools to prevent it from happening, <laughs> but it doesn't. You know. Yes. But like in the case of Tennessee, how do you prevent?
0: 95,000 people From getting on the field You don't
2: You don't at all Unless you're going to (laughs) build Like NASCAR level fences Where it's like You know Covered and everything
0: (laughs) Oh that would be kind of crazy actually Barbed wire fence Around the field (laughs)
2: That would not be good though (laughs) Okay uh, Case of the Mondays for Robbie Anderson He had a tirade On the sidelines Wasn't happy Panthers Not doing well He was told to leave Go back into the The locker room Kicked out of the game Yeah By his own team But the good news for him, he was traded. The bad news, and why it's a further case of the Mondays, he was traded from one bad team to another. He got traded from Carolina to the Arizona Cardinals. Call of Duty comes out in two weeks. You never want to get traded to the Cardinals later in the season because
0: they're going to be bad. Kyler Murray is going to be locked in on Call of Duty. He's not going to care about football. Are you kidding me? Am I overplaying that joke, by the way? I feel like I bring it up too much. Yeah. Okay. I mean,
2: it's funny. I think it's funny. You think it's funny? Yeah, it's funny. Okay. I mean, I, I keep seeing that stat that pops up about Yeah, how he's like two and fifty, and I don't know if that's right or if they're just playing <laughs> into the joke too. I, think just I don't even think he's played that many games. What's the record now? One in five, something like that. I don't know. It's Why not, are the it's Cardinals buyers? What's going on there? What What's going on in Arizona? <laughs> I want to know. DeAndre Hopkins back this week though, so who knows? Maybe they'll go on a run. True. Uh, that division, maybe not that good. Okay, uh, last one for Case of the Mondays. People who don't want to watch the Broncos in primetime anymore. Sorry. Yep. Got to watch them again. Another night. Another Broncos primetime game. Yes, NFL. I'll be there. I'll be there. I don't want to be, but I will. Are they? Like, why? Why do they keep doing this? You can convince me they're on primetime like the rest of the season. I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, they, uh, they're an afternoon game next week against the Jets. Let's see. Oh, they have the London game. Is that sort of primetime? You're at a standalone game after that. Uh, okay. So it sort of is. I could
0: be convinced that that's primetime. I mean, it's primetime in London.
2: They got is the Chiefs not? game on primetime, which that's fine, because oh, we'll just focus God. on the Chiefs from that okay. standpoint. Okay. I think so that's it, have, though, they for They
0: still have three more primetime games after they've already had, yeah.
2: like, four? Yeah. Two. I don't know. Wow. We'll see. Not, not it just ideal. It
0: feels like four because you want to gouge your eyes out watching them play. <laughs>
2: Well, we got playoff baseball on tonight. I know what I'm going to be watching. (laughs) He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Morgan Page, assistant coach, recruiting coordinator for KU Women's Basketball, joins us on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Special guest Morgan Page, assistant coach and recruiting coordinator for the KU Women's Basketball team, joins us now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, I guess first things first, late night in the fog was just on Friday night for you guys. What are kind of your thoughts on, on who stood out in the scrimmage and, and what that looked like in late night? And I know it's kind of weird with you know a scrimmage like that where it's not you know running plays and, and sets and everything, but but what did you think of uh, that action on Friday?
1: Yeah, I mean, late night, obviously, we're still recovering. That was a really fun weekend for us. Um, but scrimmage-wise, our, our team – I think they had a blast. We had a lot of made shots, a lot of made plays. Um, it's fun to see um, the girls have a lot of fun with the fans and, and be able to interact in a different kind of way. And the scrimmage, I would say we don't take it super seriously, but more for them to just kind of get out there and, and, and make, make fun of it. What it is seeing Tyana Jackson shoot, picking top threes is one of the funnier things of the afternoon, but uh yeah, I thought it went really well. I think we had a really good turnout, uh, both from fan bases, recruits, everything in general. Um, it went really well on Friday.
2: Yeah, I think Brandon on the uh, broadcast said, I think Gurley asked him if, you know, how many will she be taken during the season of those? And he said, well, I guess it depends on the time and score of the game. Uh, so um, as far as the late night goes and, and in general with, you know, I know you can't talk about specific recruits and whatnot, but uh, with the success of last year kind of feeding into this year and and what this year could be as well, how much just generally have you seen interest spike up in the program, uh, just I guess in general with recruiting?
1: Yeah, our team has made huge strides, obviously in the last 12 calendar months. And there's a lot of buzz and excitement about our program. And I think that trickles down not just from fan base and people following us, but in the recruiting sphere, it allows us to get into conversations that we may, may not have been able to do in the past. Um, and that's a positive thing. That's a really good thing on a growth scale, um, where bigger names and, and, and higher caliber talent are excited about the Jayhawks and following us this year and I think um, being able to have more of those types of people be in um, in our locker room and in the presence of us when we're we're like late night for example or coming to our games this fall is just a growth and a testament to where our program is and where we're continuing to grow and Generally, I think we're moving. We're excited about where we're moving in that direction in the recruiting field, but I also think recruits are getting excited about us too.
2: How difficult is it to organize from a recruiting standpoint when you do have so many players who have come in from overseas? How, how difficult of a, a challenge, I guess, is it to, to find those contacts and, and to kind of go across – to you know another country and and find a good player um when it's not something that you can just go find in your backyard or you know watch some quick film just from from over like i guess what is kind of the process for for that end of things
1: that's a great question i think we at kansas are very fortunate to have the resources to be able to not just watch film um uh they will i think it's funny we go out quite a bit in the United States recruiting in the month of July. July is a really huge tournament month for us. Um, our staff was out and at a lot of different tournaments around uh, the United States, but I was overseas. Uh, so we, we Brandon has a very big philosophy of, we like to see players in person. So yes, it does take a little bit more um, planning, organizing, um, following up with national teams, um, but for the most part, the experience of evaluating talent is still in person. It's just at different points of the year.
2: You played overseas. Does that help you out at all with some of those connections?
1: Absolutely. When you can talk to coaches just like you would here in in the States and you can actually have a conversation and, and then put a name to a face, um, it's a very it's a very normal conversation, right, to be able to build a relationship in person. Uh, so that, again, shows loyalty, shows that we're very serious about that particular player to be able to fly across the world and make that connection. Um, so I think we're we're very excited and we feel really good about how we uh, compete in the international sphere. Uh, but we also find it just as important to work the same way at home. And I think we try to find a really good balance of both being able to find the best talent in the world internationally, but also make sure the right kids in the United States are coming to be Jayhawks.
2: We're talking with Morgan Page right now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Now that Late Night in the Fog is over and we get ready for the season, how much does the schedule shift and, and get more intense here over these next couple of weeks?
1: Yes, we've been in official practice for almost two and a half, three weeks now. Um, so it's already taken a real shift with, is it an off day or is it a practice day? And we're really getting into the nitty gritty of getting ready for games where we'll have a couple scrimmages before we play our first game on November 9th. Um, but we're really starting to get into the nuts and bolts of it, making sure we have enough plays in, making sure we're, we're evaluating roster and and how we're gonna play one person with another and really looking at how we can put our best product on the floor so it's been really competitive we've had a really good first three weeks i think we have a really veteran group where we're not doing a ton of teaching um even with only having a few new faces uh they're learning very quickly and they're learning on the fly so we're not having to stop and break down a lot of stuff and we're getting a lot more uh, live, live interaction, five on five teaching rather than, Oh, I have to do a three on three breakdown drill that nobody wants to do. They'd rather play. So we spent a lot of time playing in practice right now, which has been fantastic.
2: As far as Holly Kirsketer goes, I, uh, again, don't want to, you know, overreact to anything that happens in, in like the scrimmage or whatnot, but she just looked so calm and in control and she was already, you know, kind of that last year and such a great player a season ago, but uh, what differences have you seen in her game and what ways has she kind of taken even another step into this season?
1: I think she put a ton of time in the off season working on things that she struggled with last year and some of it was just being able to be more physical go where she wants to go when she wants to do it. And I think anybody around the program would say you can feel her maturity. Uh, Now when she's in practice, she has a different aura about her. She plays at a different pace. I think – uh, even just bringing other people along, she's done a much better job of growing in that lead by example. I think that's something she's struggled with in the past and she's really locked into that. And uh, I think even on Friday, she was her, her used to use the word called, but just her demeanor of just going about her business was on display and just making plays that she knows she can make at a high level. I think she's really done a great job in the off season of adding that to her game where she doesn't want to be taken out of games or have defenders be able to take her out of games and she's really put some time in and doing that
2: And I got some fun questions for you to finish we're here with Morgan Page the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator you were previously at North Dakota State as an assistant coach there before coming to KU last year what's the coldest weather you've ever been in and when people say it's cold here do you kind of laugh at that
1: yeah I don't wear coats So I moved to Kansas. I wear a vest only because it's not cold enough to wear a coat. Uh, My coldest winter was, it was negative 50, but negative 75 with a wind chill. And I promise you, it all feels the same after about Uh, negative (laughs) 40, but negative 75. And I'll tell you, it took about negative 40 to close anything down. Like we still operate as normal at negative forty.
2: That's that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, like I mentioned earlier, you got to play overseas in Europe. What do you miss most about
1: being abroad? Honestly, the food. Uh, the food. The the leisurely lifestyle. I think the way we operate here in the United States is go go go, work all the time, and it just isn't that way overseas. Like. You expect something to open at seven thirty eight o'clock, it's not going to be open until 10. Uh, Everything just happens a little bit slower. Um, But, yeah, the food. The food, by far. uh, Every time I go over recruiting, I try to eat something new. um, But every time I come home, I get mad because I can't get the same type of food. So...
2: (laughs) Well, I uh, went to Germany over this summer, so I, I understand some of uh, some of that there. Uh, last thing I got for you, your brother is Marcus Page. Take me through what, what that was like kind of growing up together, and, and, you know, did you get the better of him in any way, shooting competitions or whatnot at any point throughout your uh, career, kind of grown up?
1: Yeah, we're only 15 months apart, so it was kind of like having a built-in workout buddy uh, for years. I mean, we would end up going to the gym together, uh, my mom was my high school coach, so we, we are around basketball from infancy. Uh, so it kind of just built in and he's obviously still playing and uh, we always are able to talk basketball and it's always been really fun. Um, to be in each other's journeys, and I think he's getting the coaching itch now too. And when he watches, he watches our team. He'll he has my synergy login. Don't tell, but he <laughs> he watches our team afterwards, and it, it's fun to really just have somebody as passionate about basketball as you are, but has a different vantage point because they're still playing. And um, it's been awesome to have his journey be positive, my journey be positive, and we're just really blessed to be basketball hoopers. Like it, it, it's not always the, it's not always the the cards that you can have two kids and have both of them have a really high successful career. So we're we're blessed in the Page family.
2: That's awesome. Well, Morgan, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, and good luck on the upcoming season. Thank you so much. That was Morgan Page, assistant coach, recruiting coordinator for the KU women's basketball team. They have uh, Big 12 media days starting tomorrow for the women's side of things. And then the men's side of things is going to be on Wednesday. Uh, unfortunately tomorrow KU is up at the dais and everything during our show at four o'clock. So, uh, we're going to get you all the audio we can as part of that. They're going to have some other interviews, some stuff done over zoom and whatnot. We'll get that for you on tomorrow's show. We got men's basketball media day on Wednesday show as well. Plus KU football media days on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's going to be a pretty loaded week with some player and coach audio this week here on RCST. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk NFL Monday overreactions next Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to have a, another edition of Derek's Deep Deliberations at 5 o'clock. we got some more audio to get to you. KU football players spoke with the media after the KU Oklahoma game. We'll share that for you in the 5 o'clock hour. By the way, I, I want to make mention of this. I don't know if this guy's listening to the show, but I had somebody reach out to me multiple times today asking where the Lance Leipold's post-game press conference video was. Um, Like, like from the Oklahoma game? Yes, yes.
0: I guess we normally do play it on Mondays.
2: We do, we do, but this was like before our show. So I was like, oh. I don't know, I don't oh. know what you so want me to was, do.
0: Was he was he asking if where like he could find it or if, was he asking like if we were gonna uh, play it I like... think
2: he was asking where he could find it. But oh. I will be clear, like actually I don't I don't think I don't know. We weren't down in Norman and K U yeah. didn't upload one to their media FTP and uh, I didn't see anything from it. So maybe there was one but it might have just been kind of like a scrum or a breakout and, and videos weren't posted or something yeah. like that. So I don't know. Uh, Sorry for that. We do have some player audio, though, to get for you. Okay, uh, it is that time on a Monday. We saw a bunch of NFL games yesterday. Weird stuff happened. Let's overreact to it with another edition of NFL Monday Overreactions. All right, Derek. I got some good ones cooked up for you here today. Let's hear them. Number one, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are washed. They suck. Mm -hmm. They're horrible. They're terrible quarterbacks. I can get on board with this. Aaron Rodgers... He's a fraud. Couldn't do anything against fraud. the Jets yesterday. Does Aaron Rodgers have a problem with, I know Robert, this is it Sala, Saleh, I don't know how to Robert pronounce it. Sala? Yeah, Sala. whatever the coach is for the Jets. Yeah. He was obviously the former defensive coordinator with the 49ers. Now, he wasn't the D.C. last year when the Packers put up that kind of stinker in the playoffs against the 49ers, but it's the same scheme, I would assume. Yeah. Does Aaron Rodgers just, can he not figure out that scheme? I don't know. I think he's just bad. He's just bad he now? he sucks. Well, because, Tom Brady sucks more, though. <laughs> is that, maybe that's the question. Which Who is worse more? now? Tom but, Brady. Tom Brady's worse. These are the Packers' like outputs. They put up 22 against the Giants, 14 against the Bucks. which, I don't know. Their defense is good, but I, I think it's being a little overbilled as, like, how good they, they are. Mahomes, uh, Mahomes, dropped 40, Mahomes dropped 41 on them. Yeah, they put up, I mean, 10 on the Packers, or, or 10 on the Jets. It's not like they had a big game against the Bears. They only put up seven on the Vikings. Like, I know it's not on, on Aaron Rodgers, but he just hasn't looked as sharp. He hasn't his, looked his as good. His
0: receiving core is bad. Yeah. No Randall Cobb got that. injured now. Yeah, there's no question the receiving core is bad. Yeah.
2: But, I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers. There's no reason he seems to be that bad. Yeah. And then with Tom Brady, it's like, I mean, they, they can't, like, score at all. We're, we're watching Tom Brady week by week melt down over he is not having his decision to all.
0: continue playing football.
2: Did you see the video bothering.
0: of him like yelling at his O line? Yeah, like yelling at them. Yeah, he's broken multiple. Uh, what are they Microsoft tablets? Yes. I don't want to get fined <laughs> by the NFL for calling them iPads.
2: Well, they they had 18 against the Steelers. That's a TJ Wattless Steelers defense, who the Bills just okay destroyed the week before. Quick side note before you yeah. get further on this on the Steelers defense.
0: I have the Steelers defensive fans. And I benched them this week because they are playing Tom Brady. And I started the Jaguars
2: defense. And the Jaguars defense got cooked mm. by Matt Ryan. And the Steelers defense was good. I guess you just got to figure whoever the Bucs... They, uh. they only put up 21 on the Falcons the week before. 12 on the Packers. 19 on the Cowboys, which they do have a good defense. I, I don't know. They're, okay, so which one is worse to the answer to that the rest of the Brady. season? I think Brady is worse. Brady. I think Rogers, to me, is more of a product of the receivers. Brady is worse because he's doing... Exactly what Rodgers is doing, but Brady actually has weapons yes, in a correct, good team. Correct, and Rodgers at least is still like a handful of years younger. But it is a little bit worrisome for both of them. Do you think okay, what? Will either one of those teams play in the NFC Championship? Hmm. Honestly, I, if would I would not have said before the season. Just, I know I'll give I just, I know I just got done saying that Brady's
0: worse. The Bucks, I think, will could still make it. They could still turn it around. I mean, the, it's the, the Packers. I am, I have less hope
2: for the thing that's going for both of those teams is that the difference between the AFC and the NFC is once we yes. get to the playoffs with the AFC, there's so many good quarterbacks. The NFC is a cakewalk, yes, a cakewalk. from a quarterback perspective, especially because if we're talking about like you know, in the in the AFC, you got Joe Burrow mm, in the wild card, correct. in the NFC, you might be playing Kirk Cousins, yes, Kirk like Cousins Kirk, or Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, right? so. You're right in that regard, but it is very worrisome what both look like right now because the offenses they don't look sharp at all. All right, kind of in
0: line with with Tom Brady being terrible now. <laughs>
2: the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the NFC South. All right, this is definitely an over. You know what? I I don't know. How do you figure? They're, they're three You're right. and three. I mean, they're tied with with uh, in first, and it's not like the 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 Panthers are horrible. The Saints are yeah. two and four, and honestly, they should have beat the Saints. They gave up so that Falcons- comeback. Remember? Oh League yeah, yeah, yeah. One? yep, yep. So they yep. should be four and two. Yeah. Uh, see, there you go. They got a plus ten point differential. Bucks are only plus eighteen, so it's not like the I guess underlying numbers there would say they're that much better. I don't think it's going to happen, but like I keep doubting the Falcons every week, and they keep shutting me up. They're six and zero against the spread. A lot of people have been doubting them. I, I doubted them. I still will not get on board with this. Because I still do think, dude. Look at the rest of the NFC South. The Panthers may not win another game. I mean, the rest you just said it with the Bucs, though. The Saints are
0: bad. <laughs> the Bucks mm. are bad. I still think the Bucks win the division. Okay. All right. How about this? The Giants are the worst five and one team of all time.
2: So this would take a lot of research for me to go back and look at every five and one team ever, and I don't want to do that. So let's just overreact. <laughs> yes, it's true. Do you remember this happened a couple of years ago? Um, not five and one, but with the Steelers. Remember that Steelers team a couple of years ago? They yeah, started they started like, like 9 11 or 10. Yeah, they started ago. like 11 and one. Yeah, 11 that's One, right. and then they they lost their last. Yes, five games. and then they lost the first round of the playoffs to the Browns. And everybody at that point, when they <laughs> were, they had that unbelievable start, was like, "This is the worst." this team of all time <laughs> and i always thought it was kind of silly and funny because it's like who cares if you're that record like if you're the if you're the worst super bowl winner guess what you still won the super bowl you know what i mean um is but, it better to be the worst 5 and 1 team of all time or the best <laughs> 1 and 5 team of all time i'd rather be the worst 5 and 1 team you know you take the wins where you can get okay. them well and yet me saying that 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 is the case. Because, again, they win a game where I'm like, how did you win that game? No, the Ravens, the Ravens
0: bungled that so badly.
2: I mean, so badly. talk about, if we want to do an overreaction, the Ravens are the worst fourth the Ravens, quarter team ever. I thought the Ravens would be like a legitimate AFC contender. They they can't get out of their own way. No. They can't get out of their own fourth way. Fourth quarter's their problem. And again, I look at it with, I, I don't look at like Daniel Jones playing this unbelievable game. I look at quarterback and it's like, oh, you have a quarterback who is like a below average quarterback in the NFL. You have a (laughs) offensive line, which is fine. You have a defense, which has been like statistically average this season. Why are you five and one? Saquon Barkley is not worth that much. He's been really good. And again, Brady is gonna get to play Daniel Jones. That's the first round of the playoffs. You're right. And Mahomes is gonna get Joe Burrow. (laughs) Well, and and me saying this, that they're the worst five and one team of all time. This is their upcoming schedule, too. At Jacksonville, at Seattle by Week. Houston W Detroit W they're 10 and one they're nine and one they're nine and one yes so I don't even know what to do with this anymore I I I, I don't understand the NFL <laughs> the Falcons the Giants none of it makes sense all right in line with the Giants
0: no one outside of the NFC East will win the NFC
2: okay I'm gonna actually get on board with this the okay. Eagles win again last night against the Cowboys obviously yep. Cooper Rush in a quarterback so it's not yep. going to be a Full but is going to be back next week,
0: I think, right? Yeah. So so that's it, the that's the word on the street.
2: Assumedly, he'll be back for that second matchup. You never know what happens between then and now. Um, but I kind of do think that the Eagles and the Cowboys are the two best teams in the NFC. And then you get the Giants sprinkled in for whatever voodoo magic they have going on. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: mean, the, the Cowboys have one of the top defenses, certainly. And the Eagles just put up 27 on them. So yeah. I think from that standpoint, you have to be, feel pretty good about the Eagles and what they're doing. Eagles, are the only undefeated team left in the, NFC, in, the, in the entire NFL. Where you lose me is with the Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not going to do anything. But no, I think the idea
2: here is just you're betting on three out of the four. Yes. I mean, you could look at the NFC. Well, I mean, you could look at the NFC it's West. It's basically, it's basically you're saying because again, even with the the Giants being five and one, I wouldn't really even consider them for being an actual team that's going to make the Super Bowl. It's basically me saying, would you take the Eagles and the Cowboys or the field to win that? If I have to watch
0: Daniel Jones in the Super Bowl, I'm going to be irate. I'm going to be so mad. Daniel Jones in the Super Bowl? Are you kidding me? No. All right. This one kind of leans into what you were just talking about, actually. Is this the most unpredictable NFL season of all time? Six games in.
2: Yeah, so this is kinda of like the Giants one. When we put the all time stuff on there, you would legitimately to have to make your case, have to go back and look at every season and be like, well, no, actually it was this. But because it's way of this, more this, fun to just it's but way yes. more fun to just say something. Agreed. So yes, it is the most unpredictable season of all time. Certainly it is one of the the I don't know, it's it's very unpredictable with how this has gone. Like I said yesterday, you have the Giants beating the Ravens, you have the Falcons beating the 49ers, you have the Jets beating the Packers, In a lot of these games Like, in the case of the Jets-Packers one... It wasn't close. No, it wasn't. And that was with Zach Wilson throwing for, like, 110 yards, (laughs) which that makes even less sense in my brain. You have so many (laughs) weird things that are happening, and it's happening week in, week out right now. It goes back to the idea that the Eagles were the only undefeated team even as of, like, two weeks ago. All these teams are just stacked between, like, two and four wins right now where it's just everybody's picking off each other. Everybody is beating up on each other. There haven't been kind of the teams that have... Risen to the top, besides really maybe the Eagles and the Bills, and I guess maybe the Chiefs, but even then, yeah. they lost to the Colts. So, well, I like,
0: think, I think what you could point to normally by this point in the season, six weeks into a season,
2: normally you can say
0: these are the three or four best teams in the NFL, these are the three or four worst teams in the NFL. Like, usually you have some pretty clear definitions of like who's the best and who's the yeah. worst in the NFL, right? It's usually easy to make the top five exactly. on both. Six weeks into the season, yes, certainly. And
2: now that's
0: not so the case. So I think case. that's where you would that's where you would look to say okay this is the most unpredictable season because in the past normally it's normally you can pretty easily pick out okay these are the best teams these are the worst teams. And this year, I mean, the Jaguars one week look like the best team in the NFL, the next week they look like the worst. Yeah. So I don't even know what to think of that. All right. This one's really good. I
2: like this one a lot. The Dolphins will finish last in the AFC. East. Ooh. AFC East is kind of a uh, pretty dominant division so far. I think this
0: one maybe is determining, is determinant upon how long two is out, I would say.
2: Yeah. Well, because they're not going to finish ahead of the Bills, even though they beat the Bills. Like, the Bills are going <laughs> to finish with a better record. I feel confident in that. So, the, that Patriots, the Patriots in them and is, is interesting. They dominated the Patriots week one, but the Patriots look a lot better since then. And you know what's funny? If you go by point differential, the Dolphins are by far the worst in that division. Jets are plus fifteen, Dolphins are minus twenty four, Patriots are even plus twenty eight. Well, they just blew out the. They just blew out. Yeah, the, that helps. Uh, the, 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 Browns. the Browns, yeah. So it's it's basically yeah. Like, even though the Jets though are a game up on the Dolphins, do I really expect the Jets to finish better than the Dolphins? I feel like hmm. you're not sold. I'm not. I still think the Dolphins finish ahead of the Jets, and I still think it could be a coin toss whether they finish better or not than the Patriots. Okay. About Do you this? buy into
0: it? Um, I would be willing to buy into it if Tua ends up continuing to be out. And honestly, like, you know, obviously there was a bunch of discord about is Tua that good preseason, right? And have we seen a big enough sample size from him before he got hurt to definitively say, like, no. he is good or he is not good? So what if he comes back and he ends up being not good? Like, then we're right back into, the, you know, that discussion we had preseason. And, yeah, I mean, listen, the Dolphins, they could end up Going six and eleven, and that might be worse in the division, right? I mean, you could have the Jets could win seven games, the the, the Patriots could win eight nine games. So if the Dolphins only win six seven games, they that might be last.
2: Yeah, I I, I definitely don't think it's crazy. I just okay. am leaning toward the weapons they have. But if it continues to be Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson, like that yeah, is not, not even Teddy better. Bridgewater. Skylar yeah. Thompson. No. All right, Bailey Zappy is a better. Quarterback than Russell Wilson. Ooh, Russ has been bad, terrible. And Bailey Zappi Horrible. has been very good. Bailey Zappi's been solid. He uh was kind of a game manager in the first game against the Lions, but didn't make a lot of mistakes. It was like seventeen of twenty-one. Yep. Hit passes when he needed to. He got a bit of an expanded role uh, in the game against the Browns. He threw it a lot more in that game, and he had still a lot of success. Twenty-four of thirty-four, three hundred and nine yards. That's 9.1 per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a pretty good line. I think he's better than Mac Jones, and I know that's not the question. I here. think we
0: I think we had this on last week, though. Is the question was, will Bailey Zappi be the starter for the rest of the season?
2: Are you is that less of an overaction this week than it was last week? It is less of one. I still think they're gonna give a shot back to Mac Jones before they turn it back because this is a guy you used a first round pick on. You wanna see what he can do out there. Um, I, I remain with what I said last week that I do think Bailey Zappi will eventually be the starter, but I think they'll give it back to, to uh, Mac Jones. But uh, yeah, Russell Wilson so far this season, and he's obviously played a lot more football than Bailey Zappi, right? I mean, yeah. Bailey Zappi's yeah. played two and a half games now yep. when he got in with the, the Green Bay game, maybe like two and three quarters. Zappi has four touchdowns to one interception. Russell Wilson has four touchdowns to three interceptions. He's, he's terrible. Case close. Case close. Daily Russell Wilson's the worst, <laughs> right that, the worst quarterback of all time. don't close. That is <laughs> an overreaction That's
0: not that. You think that's a overreaction?
2: The worst quarterback of all time? Maybe. Just by a little bit. Only because he much. plays for the Broncos. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our NFL Monday overreactions. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down. One to go. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 5 o'clock hour. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Tough weekend that was. Chiefs fall to the Bills in a tight one, though not maybe a ton of, I don't know. You don't feel horrible about the loss, given the how it happened, who it's against, all that stuff. Uh, the KU game against Oklahoma. feel probably a little bit worse about that one.
0: KU's okay, fine. Bull game inbound.
2: And that's, yeah, that's that's the key now. Just find a way to get to six wins. We're going to have some KU football player post-game audio coming up shortly here on RCST. But I want to get to a, another edition of Derek's Deep Deliberations. Some of my just maybe off-the-beaten thoughts. Um, let's do some uh, Late Night in the Fog quick hits from Friday. So uh, along the broadcast, Bill Self said... Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris are likely the starters. Unclear on the fifth spot. Obviously, that fifth spot would be a center. But I think this is going to be something that kind of is a theme all season long. I have kind of been under the impression that it would be Zach Clements, and I think that would just make a lot of sense. KU's biggest question might be their shooting. And so if you can have a center who can shoot, it really helps you in that regard. But we know Bill Self likes big men who can really... Defend inside at a high level, rebound, rebound, play athletically, get dunks, throw down lobs and stuff. And it's not that Zach Clements can't do that, but you wonder if Ernest Uday and Zuby Edgeford are maybe more adept at it. There's obviously a lot of talent there, but it's kind of unproven. That's going to be kind of the spot all year long that I think is going to be the question mark about who's going to be the guy, how much is everybody going to play, and that seems to be the case kind of right off the bat.
0: Yeah, and Bill even said he's not going to watch the scrimmage. Yes. Back on the scrimmage. He said that. So I don't know how much I want to.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't even. I'm not even taking this from the idea that because Zach Clements did struggle a bit in the scrimmage. I think he hardly played at all. He went like 0 for 2, 0 for 3. I'm not even taking it from that because you're right. I don't really care about what happened in the scrimmage. Yeah, neither does just That's just a direct comment that he made while on the broadcast for the scrimmage to give us an insight to kind of what's going on there. Now, I I do think it's also interesting that we're going to spend all this time and we will talking about which of those five men, Cam Martin too, is going to emerge in that spot. Like, what if they just decide to play Jalen Wilson at the five or KJ Adams at the five and have this ultimate switching, you know, one through five kind of defense? KJ
0: Adams played the five quite a bit last year.
2: Yeah. Right? So Jalen Wilson played the five a bunches. Uh, yeah, redshirt freshman year.
0: That's that's not that crazy of a possibility. I think what maybe makes it crazy is just knowing the type of coach Bill Self is. He likes to have his big guys. He likes to be able to dump it into the paint. He likes to be able to have some defense at the rim. And so, even though we have seen him in recent years adapt and go with the smaller lineup, we know that that's not what he prefers to do.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think. um When you look at those guys who you can throw the ball to in the paint and let them kind of make a move or go to work or, you know, score a basket inside, you did have a couple of them last year, like David McCormick, albeit some highs and lows and inconsistencies, for the most part was able to score for you on the block. Mitch Lightfoot was fantastic. I mean, he had one of the most – they would show those stats of, like, the most efficient shots in basketball or on the (laughs) block. And Mitch Lightfoot with his right-handed hook – was, like, unbelievable last season. So he had a couple options with that. Not to mention about Mitch Lightfoot, his shot blocking. Right. he's great defensively. Phenomenal. I just just mean, like, offensively, though, when you look at that and you look at this year's roster, like, with Zach Clements, we think he's a stretch five, but how much do we know about him as a on-the-block scorer with Ernest Uday and Zuby Ejiofor? Like, we hear a lot about their defense and athleticism. How much do we know about him as a on-the-block scorer? Those guys
0: feel like more raw scores than they do... You can dump it in, and he can make a move off the dribble or something.
2: And then Cam Martin, who you view as a stretch five as well. Now, he was able to score on the block a ton when he was at the D2 level. How much does that carry over to this now at the highest level with Kansas and stuff? So there are questions there. So if nobody is able to establish themselves as an offensive threat in the post— then maybe they do steer into just saying, "Okay, well, we will go Jalen Wilson or KJ at the five because we're not getting that anyway, so might as well go with the the switchable, versatile defending and, and whatnot." So that's certainly interesting. Uh, he also mentioned that he envisions Bobby Pettiford as being the backup point guard.
0: Yeah, I I'm a bit confused by that because earlier in the week he had said that he didn't think Bobby Pettiford was going to play in the scrimmage. Then he plays in the scrimmage, and now it's kind of like, okay, you know, he's he mentioned how Bobby Pettiford is has been really unlucky with injuries and he's had you know some problems going back to last year dealing with a hamstring injury so I, I like the idea there but I'm nervous with how reliable he might be if if the injuries continue to kind of plague him throughout the season
2: maybe that's basically what you're getting though with with Kyle Cuff and Joe Yesifu this year though it's just Bobby Pettiford insurance essentially yep. we heard all throughout last year uh whether Bobby Pettiford was healthy whether he was injured at different times how high Bill Self was on him and yes, I think we heard the comment of like he's the next great one here. who's okay? had so many good point guards under Bill Self. He's the next guy and I think you saw it in a lot of flashes a season ago. Like he looked really athletic. He looked really good at, at doing what a lot of those great Bill Self point guards have done in the past in terms of being able to get a guy on your hip and, and get to the rim and, and finish through contact. He has that in him. It's just like you said can he stay healthy? And I'll be honest like I I think at the beginning of the offseason all through last year I kind of envisioned him as being that guy and somewhere along the way with Joe Yesifu seeming to be impressive over offseason work and Bobby Pettiford having all the injuries I started to switch to thinking yeah maybe Joe Yesufu will be that backup point guard and that first guy that comes off if you're playing a two guard system next to Dewan Harris but based on those comments right back to square one I I guess <laughs> you know who am I going to am I going to be like no Bill Self's wrong you know no like I think Bob Pettiford, yeah, he'll be the guy then. So yeah. we'll see what that means for for the other guards and, and if the health can uh, kind of stay intact. But I think that has to be a good sign that, again, like not overreacting to what happened in the scrimmage, but in terms of him playing in the scrimmage, it's probably a good sign for his health.
0: Yes, absolutely. Considering, like I said, considering like the day before the scrimmage, Bill Self seemed pretty clear that he wasn't going to play. And then he plays the next day? Yeah,
2: okay. he wanted to show off in front of Shaq. Who, who would <laughs> I, I thought about getting down there. Some football deep deliberations for me. I thought it was interesting. We, we talked a lot about Jason Bean and, and Jalen Daniels, the comparison there in the opener. They put full trust in Jason Bean in that game. They gave him the full keys to the offense. They had the same game plan they would have with Jalen Daniels. That may be less, you know, certain play calls here or there of, of one thing that fits one guy and one thing that's the strength of the other. But for the most part, it was pretty similar to what KU did. And It seemed like to me, over the course of that game, they lost a little bit of trust there. Not that he had a bad performance. There were a few plays, though, that you question. There were a couple times where I noticed he killed the play, and then the play you went into ended up losing yard or beating zero yards. He
0: he changed the play to a triple option one time, and it got, like, negative three yards.
2: Yes. That happened a few times. You had times where you did run a couple read option plays, and he made the wrong read. And so I think that might have been a realization for the staff that we probably have to be different than what we were doing with Jalen Daniels. Like the, the the basics, the staples are still going to be for what they are with with KU. But we honestly didn't see them run like a ton, a ton of the wide zone scheme with Jalen Daniels in there. I think you're going to get back to doing a little bit more of that with Jason Bean as the quarterback. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think you're right. I think we mentioned it. These they have similar skill sets, but there are certainly things that. Daniels does better than Bean and I think that needs to be reflected in, in your play calling right you might need to run the ball with more straightforward not necessarily simple style running but maybe not as much option stuff and that goes back to the comment about Jalen Daniels having incredible vision as a quarterback like that's that's so huge for a guy running a read option and if Jalen if Jason Bean does not have that same level of vision you might need to simplify that those types of runs and make it a little bit easier for the handoffs and, and take some of that burden off of him trying to read a
2: defense Yes, so I saw a lot of people saying, "Why aren't they running triple option and whatnot?" That would kind of be why to me. Yes, yes, I you know, you missed some of the reads, and even going back to TCU, he,
0: you know, he had a a bad pitch that yes. killed the drive. Bad he, they, pitch. He, he bat, hit a bad pitch and then threw a pick on the next play.
2: You also had um, just not kind of wanting to take hits. Like those would be reasons why not being like a like. Remember when Andy like you made that comment about Jalen Daniels? He said he has the vision of a running back. Yeah, I just mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't believe I just missed. I'll, you don't see that with Jason, means. So, uh, no, I agree one hundred percent. Deep deliberation. Lorenzo McCaskill needs to find a new helmet, dude. Get a <laughs> helmet. Tighten your chin straps. You're playing football. I know. You're playing football. Tighten your chin straps. At one point, he came off the field with it, and it looked and he, like someone was yelling at him. No, and we, I think.
0: Well, oh, oh, never mind.
2: Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I think somebody was yelling at him like. Dude, like, figure out your helmet. And he was like,
0: He's well, the only
2: one I got. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. He was
0: coming out the film one time, and he was mad, and he head-butted his helmet, and yeah. his nose was bleeding.
2: <laughs> That's like a hard-o, like, like, strength and conditioning coach move. We've seen that a few times.
0: Dude, come on. Tighten your chin strap, <laughs> dude. Holy smokes. You know what actually my biggest pet peeve, though, actually is? It's guys who have their mouthpiece dangling from their face, man. But then
2: never put it and in. And then they
0: just run around with it dangling in front of their face.
2: It's like, what's if the point? If you're not going
0: to put it in, just <laughs> take it off. Don't have it dangled in front of your face.
2: And that is equipment talk here on Rock Jock Sports Talk.
0: Dude, nothing. I, I'm serious. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets me more annoyed than watching that. Nothing. Nothing. And I, I here's what I don't understand. Especially for an offensive guy, how is it not distracting? <laughs> <laughs> like Drake Stoops was doing it for Oklahoma. Yeah, as a receiver, how it's is like that not distracting? up and down, trying to of your see face. the ball. I don't understand. I don't understand. You struck a chord there, Derek. I'm sorry. No, oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't understand. I, I it drives me insane. Like just just stick it in your helmet, like a normal person, or just I don't know, wear
2: it. There's a thought. You're playing football. Why don't you wear it? I, yeah, no, it it doesn't make Just sense. Don't to have me. it dangling in front of your face. Yeah, and sure, I have to watch it the whole time. I'm sure they'll get that fixed. So after KU gives up 52 to Oklahoma, there's a thought that I jotted down. Okay. Does KU have the worst defense in the Big 12? I, I, I think Oklahoma's is still worse right now. Really? Hmm. You don't think so? Uh oh, you might be right. I mean, they're still giving up all I sorts think, of yards. They give I 42 think KU to has Kansas. the worst
0: defense in the Big 12. In stopping tempo,
2: yeah, that was pretty apparent. Which that's not great because in the you're Big 12, a Big you playing a lot of tempo yeah. teams. Yeah, and I don't know where Baylor ranks in that regard. I know Oklahoma State's one of like the top five or ten in the country. That's you have in a couple weeks. Yep. Although that's coming off a of bye week, so maybe yeah, you'll be able to kind of figure it out there. It's just, I feel like Oklahoma is
0: is is still worse right now. Now we might revisit this in a couple of weeks, and that might not be the case anymore. But right now.
2: But Did is there I- anybody else in the discussion?
0: For worse defense?
2: Yeah. Is it just KU and Oklahoma?
0: I think it's KU and Oklahoma. I mean...
2: Maybe West Virginia? Mm-hmm. They have a good defensive line. Yeah. Iowa State's good. is pretty good. I don't know what to make about the KU defensive line at this point either because they've obviously been so much better than they were last year. You have so many more sack and tackle for loss numbers and you've seen times in games where they've created all sorts of chaos and pressure. It's just been so inconsistent, though. Like, the West Virginia game, you had one tackle for loss, no sacks. Against Oklahoma, I think you had three and one. And then you'll have games in there against, like, Iowa State. Wait,
0: can you had three tackles for loss against Oklahoma? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's shocking. I would have guessed, you like, thought it was one. Like... <laughs> I would have guessed, like, one. Dude, watching the game, I mean, how many negative plays do they have? None. I, I can't even think of any.
2: It's hard to think of some. Um, Besides, like, the fumble. But that doesn't count, does it? No, because I think he was past the line of scrimmage at that point. So, like, I, I I don't know what to make of it because the the highs have been very good, and maybe we just chalk it up to Lonnie Phelps was dealing with an injury. His dad took to Twitter like during the game and was basically saying he was injured.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, that was pretty surprising. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that normal?
2: <laughs> for a dad to break <laughs> the injury news about yeah. his kid, I don't think so. I haven't <laughs> seen it happen before. <laughs> his dad's been a good follow on Twitter, that's for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. As far as the secondary, a lot of that just seemed to be coverage busts. That's something no, that seems no, correctable. No Kobe is bad. That also is bad, really bad. Though, I'm not sure what to think of that injury either. Like on on yeah, first, he
0: he did the same thing. With, yeah, he tweeted about how it was actually not. It's true. not that
2: bad, right? So I don't know how but long you expect about this, him to miss.
0: Think about this for a second. Ku's three best players. You could argue, over the over the month of September. Jalen Daniels, Daniel Highshaw, and Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are Caves' three best players that played over the course of September. All of them out.
2: Yeah. It's a very bad like successively. I mean, you can't ask ask for much worse than that. But I mean, that's also but, to a certain yeah. extent depth football right yeah and you depth, knew depth there were going to be brief. injuries there, there always are for every team across the country now you don't expect it to be as important of players successively as those three guys are yeah but yeah that, that depth that's where it does come into play and that that was always the question along the way and we think that KU has added a lot more depth we knew they had it at running back uh, we knew they added a bunch on on defense having Jason Bean like that's where those things come into play and so if KU does win that extra game and goes to bowl eligibility, I really do think we're going to be looking back on it and saying, yes. yeah, that was, was kind of the I mean, key that got you over the hump. Without Jason Bean, without Kai
0: Thomas and or Savion Morrison, this season would be over for KU. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would really have a chance to win set fi- another game at that point. I mean, I mean, seriously. seriously. If they're rolling out Ben Easters or Ethan Dasko. Are they winning another game?
2: Without It's without impossible Jason to Bean? tell because we haven't with, seen those without, guys at all.
0: Without Kai Thomas? Without Savan Morrison.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. By the way, that was cool to see. Um, I I think, you know, Kai Thomas getting in the end zone after everything that yep. he's kind of tried to battle through and yep. play for this team and uh, whatnot heading into that one. KU you getting seven and a half against Baylor? Early thought on that. Uh, I I don't know if Shapen is
0: officially out. They haven't a made a declaration. He has a concussion. Assuming he does play, it would be a lot tougher for KU. I think it's almost, with Shapin, it's almost the same degree that you had with Dylan Gabriel this week. Like, if Chapin plays, that changes everything for Baylor, really. Maybe not to the degree that it does for Oklahoma, that or that it did for Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel, but it changes a lot. So, I, I, I don't know. And I'm nervous because, historically, the Baylor has just beat the snot out of KU every year they play i mean every year yeah so i think i think last year they last year it was 26 to 7 and that was like the closest margin of victory in like a long time it felt
2: like no i think that was, was that two years ago oh
0: did they did they lose bad I last they, year?
2: yeah i think last year was bad too it was like 10 to 3 or something at halftime 14 7 something like that and then they pulled away in the second half all
0: right let me let me check the schedule
2: I also, like, don't know what to think of those past matchups, though, because last year's big Baylor team won the Big 12.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, on one hand, I mean, you don't want to read too much of the history of it, but when the history is, like, 10 years,
2: yes, it's got to mean something. Right? Yeah, because, again, like, a lot of the players who were on the team from 10 years ago are obviously not—have nothing to do with the program now, but when it continues to happen— like, are you going to be the one who wants to bet against a streak? Are you going to oh, yeah. be the one who wants to bet against last year Baylor, Alabama making the playoff?
0: Last year Baylor won forty-five to seven. So two years ago it was twenty-six
2: to seven. And uh, eh, it might have been three actually, because they oh, also no, played no, like, in was, Waco no, in twenty twenty. No, no, they did forty-seven yeah. to
0: fourteen. <laughs> well, well, this is embarrassing. Mm. All right, twenty twenty.
2: That's Derek's deep deliberation. Let, Let me find this game. <laughs> It was twenty six I think it was the year before. I'm pretty certain. If you're wrong, in 2019
0: it was 61 to six. What
2: year was it? 26-7. The year before. I promise. Oh my! That's a great finish to the segment right there. (laughs) This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.